0: Section 15 of The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes, Volume 1. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Janet. The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes, Volume 1: The Woman in the Big Hat" by Baroness Emma Ozy. Part one Lady Molly always had the idea that if the finger of fate had pointed to Mathis's in Regent Street, rather than to Lyons, as the most advisable place for us to have a cup of tea that afternoon, mister Calden would be alive at the present moment. My dear lady is quite sure, and needless to say that I share her belief in herself, that she would have anticipated the murderer's intentions and thus prevented one of the most cruel and callous of crimes which were ever perpetrated in the heart of london she and i had been to a matinee of trilby and were having tea at lyons which is exactly opposite mathis's vienna cafe in regent street from where we sat we commanded a view of the street and of the cafe which had been very crowded during the last hour We had lingered over our toasted muffin until past six, when our attention was drawn to the unusual commotion which had arisen both outside and in the brilliantly lighted place over the road. We saw two men run out of the doorway, and return, a minute or two later, in company with a policeman. You know what is the inevitable result of such a proceeding in London— within three minutes a crowd had collected outside Mathis's. Two or three more constables had already assembled, and had some difficulty in keeping the entrance clear of intruders. But already my dear lady, keen as a pointer on the scent, had hastily paid her bill, and, without waiting to see if I followed her or not, had quickly crossed the road, and the next moment her graceful form was lost in the crowd. I went after her, impelled by curiosity, and presently caught sight of her in close conversation with one of our own men. I have always thought that Lady Molly must have eyes at the back of her head. Otherwise, how could she have known that I stood behind her now? Anyway, she beckoned to me, and together we entered Mathis's, much to the astonishment and anger of the less fortunate crowd the usually gay little place was indeed sadly transformed in one corner the waitresses in dainty caps and aprons had put their heads together and were eagerly whispering to one another whilst casting furtive looks at the small group assembled in front of one of those pretty alcoves which as you know line the walls all around the big tea-room At Mathis's. Here two of our men were busy with pencil and notebook, whilst one fair haired waitress, dissolved in tears, was apparently giving them a great deal of irrelevant and confused information. Chief Inspector Saunders had, I understood, been already sent for. The constables, confronted with this extraordinary tragedy, were casting anxious glances towards the main entrance whilst putting the conventional questions to the young waitress and in the alcove itself raised from the floor of the room by a couple of carpeted steps the cause of all this commotion all this anxiety and all these tears sat huddled up on a chair with arms lying straight across the marble top table on which the usual paraphernalia of afternoon tea still lay scattered about the upper part of the body, limp, backboneless, and awry, half propped up against the wall, half falling back upon the outstretched arms, told quite plainly its weird tale of death. Before my dear lady and I had time to ask any questions, Saunders arrived in a taxicab. He was accompanied by the medical officer, Dr. Townsend, who at once busied himself with the dead man. "'whilst Saunders went up quickly to Lady Molly. "'The chief suggested sending for you,' he said quickly. "'He was phoning you when I left. "'There's a woman in this case, and we shall rely on you a good deal.' "'What has happened?' asked my dear lady, "'whose fine eyes were glowing with excitement at the mere suggestion of work. "'I have only a few stray particulars,' replied Saunders but the chief witness is that yellow-haired girl over there we'll find out what we can from her directly dr townsend has given us his opinion the medical officer who had been kneeling beside the dead man now rose and turned to saunders his face was very grave the whole matter is simple enough so far as i'm concerned he said the man has been killed by a terrific dose "'of morphia, administered no doubt in this cup of chocolate,' he added, "'pointing to a cup in which there still lingered the cold dregs of the thick beverage. "'But when did this occur?' asked Saunders, turning to the waitress. "'I—I I can't say,' she replied, speaking with obvious nervousness. "'The gentlemen came in very early with the ladies, somewhere about four. "'They made straight for this alcove.' THE PLACE WAS JUST BEGINNING TO FILL, AND THE MUSIC HAD BEGUN. AND WHERE IS THE LADY NOW? SHE WENT OFF ALMOST DIRECTLY. SHE HAD ORDERED TEA FOR HERSELF, AND A CUP OF CHOCOLATE FOR THE gentleman, ALSO MUFFINS AND CAKES. ABOUT FIVE MINUTES AFTERWARDS, AS I WENT PAST THEIR TABLE, I HEARD HER SAY TO HIM, I'M AFRAID I MUST GO NOW, OR JAY'S WILL BE CLOSED, BUT I'LL BE BACK IN LESS THAN HALF AN HOUR. YOU'LL WAIT FOR ME, WON'T YOU? did the gentleman seem all right then oh yes said the waitress he had just begun to sip his chocolate and merely said so long as she gathered up her gloves and muff and then went out of the shop and she has not returned since no when did you first notice there was anything wrong with this gentleman asked lady molly well said the girl with some hesitation I looked at him once or twice as I went up and down, for he certainly seemed to have fallen all of a heap. Of course, I thought that he had gone to sleep, and I spoke to the man address about him, but she thought that I ought to leave him alone for a bit. Uh, then we got very busy, and I paid no more attention to him, until about six o'clock when most afternoon tea customers had gone, and we were beginning to get the tables ready for dinners." then i certainly did think there was something wrong with the man i called to the man address and we sent for the police and the lady who was with him at first what was she like would you know her again queried saunders i don't know replied the girl you see i've to attend to such crowds of people of an afternoon i can't notice each one "'and she had on one of those enormous mushroom hats. "'No one could have seen her face, not more than her chin, "'unless they looked right under the hat. "'Would you know the hat again?' asked Lady Molly. "'Yes, I think I should,' said the waitress. "'It was black velvet and had a lot of plumes. "'It was enormous,' she added, "'with a sigh of admiration and of longing "'for the monumental headgear. During the girl's narrative, one of the constables had searched the dead man's pockets. Among other items, he had found several letters addressed to Mark Culloden, Esquire, some with an address in Lombard Street, others with one in Fitzjohn's Avenue, Hampstead. The initials M.C., which appeared both in the hat and on the silver mount of a letter-case belonging to the unfortunate gentleman, proved his identity beyond a doubt a house in fitzjohn's avenue does not somehow suggest a bachelor establishment even whilst saunders and the other men were looking through the belongings of the deceased lady molly had already thought of his family children perhaps a wife a mother who could tell what awful news to bring to an unsuspecting happy family who might even now be expecting the return of father or husband or son, at the very moment when he laid murdered in a public place, the victim of some hideous plot or feminine revenge. As our amiable friends in Paris would say, it jumped to the eyes that there was a woman in the case, a woman who had worn a gargantuan hat for the obvious purpose of remaining unidentifiable. "'when the question of the unfortunate victim's companion "'that afternoon came up for solution. "'And all these facts to put before an expectant wife "'or an anxious mother. "'As no doubt you have already foreseen, "'Lady Molly took the difficult task on her own kind shoulders. "'She and I drove together to Lorberry House, Fitzjohn's Avenue, "'and on asking of the man-servant who opened the door "'if his mistress were at home, "'we were told that Lady Irene Cullen was in the drawing-room. "'Mine is not a story of sentiment, "'so I'm not going to dwell on that interview, "'which was one of the most painful moments "'I recollect having lived through. "'Lady Irene was young, not five-and-twenty, "'I should say petite and frail-looking.' but with a quiet dignity of manner which was most impressive she was irish as you know the daughter of the earl of Athyville, and it seems had married mr mark culloden in the teeth of strenuous opposition on the part of her family which was as penniless as it was aristocratic whilst mr culloden had great prospects and a splendid business but possessed neither ancestors nor high connections she had only been married six months poor little soul and from all accounts must have idolized her husband lady molly broke the news to her with infinite tact but there it was it was a terrific blow wasn't it to deal to a young wife now a widow and there was so little that a stranger could say in these circumstances even my dear lady's gentle voice, her persuasive eloquence, her kindly words sounded empty and conventional in the face of such appalling grief. Two. Of course, everyone expected that the inquest would reveal something of the murdered man's inner life, would in fact allow the over eager public to get a peep into Mr. Mark Culden's secret orchard wherein walked a lady who wore abnormally large velvet hats and who nourished in her heart one of those terrible grudges against a man which can only find satisfaction in crime equally of course the inquest revealed nothing that the public did not already know the young widow was extremely reticent on the subject of her late husband's life and the servants had all been fresh arrivals when the young couple just home from their honeymoon, organized their new household at Lorberry House. There was an old aunt of the deceased, a uh, Mrs. Steinberg, who lived with the Caldons, but who at the present moment was very ill. Someone in the house, one of the younger servants probably, very foolishly had told her every detail of the awful tragedy. With positively amazing strength, THE INVALID THEREUPON INSISTED ON MAKING A SWORN STATEMENT, WHICH SHE DESIRED SHOULD BE PLACED BEFORE THE CORONER'S JURY. SHE WISHED TO BEAR SOLEMN TESTIMONY TO THE INTEGRITY OF HER LATE NEPHEW, MARK CALDEN, IN CASE THE PERSONALITY OF THE MYSTERIOUS WOMAN IN THE BIG HAT SUGGESTED TO evilly DISPOSED MINDS ANY THOUGHT OF SCANDAL. MARK CALDEN WAS THE ONE NEPHEW WHOM I LOVED she stated with solemn emphasis i have shown my love for him by bequeathing to him the large fortune which i inherited from the late mr steinberg mark was the soul of honour or i should have cut him out of my will as i did my other nephews and nieces i was brought up in the scotch home and i hate all this modern fastness and smartness which are only other words for what i call profligacy needless to say The old lady's statement, solemn though it was, was of no use whatsoever for the elucidation of the mystery which surrounded the death of Mr. Mark Culden. But as Mrs. Steinberg had talked of other nephews, whom she had cut out of her will in favor of the murdered man, the police directed inquiries in those various quarters. Mr. Mark Culden certainly had several brothers and sisters, also cousins, who at different times usually for some peccadillo or other seemed to have incurred the wrath of the straight-laced old lady but there did not appear to have been any ill feeling in the family owing to this mrs steinberg was the sole mistress of her fortune she might just as well have bequeathed it in toto to some hospital as to one particular nephew whom she favoured and the various relations were glad on the whole that the money was going to remain in the family rather than be cast abroad. The mystery surrounding the woman in the big hat deepened as the days went by. As you know, the longer the period of time which elapses between a crime and the identification of the criminal, the greater the chance the latter has of remaining at large. In spite of strenuous efforts and close questionings of every one of the employees at Mathis's, no one could give a very accurate description of the lady who had tea with the deceased on that fateful afternoon. The first glimmer of light on the mysterious occurrence was thrown about three weeks later by a young woman named Catherine Harris, who had been parlor-maid at Lorberry House when first Mr. and Lady Irene Culloden returned from their honeymoon. I must tell you that mrs steinberg had died a few days after the inquest the excitement had been too much for her enfeebled heart just before her death she had deposited two hundred fifty pounds with her banker which sum was to be paid over to any person giving information which would lead to the apprehension and conviction of the murderer of mr mark culloden this offer had stimulated everyone's one's zeal and i presume "'had aroused Catherine Harris to realization of what all the while had been her obvious duty. "'Lady Molly saw her in the chief's private office, "'and had much ado to disentangle the threads of the girl's confused narrative. "'But the main point of Harris's story was that a foreign lady had once called at Lorberry House, "'about a week after the master and mistress had returned from their honeymoon.' "'Lady Irene was out at the time, and Mr. Cullen saw the lady in his smoking-room. "'She was a very handsome lady,' explained Harris, "'and was beautifully dressed. "'Did she wear a large hat?' asked the chief. "'I don't remember if it were particularly large,' replied the girl. "'But you remember what the lady was like?' suggested Lady Molly.' "'Yes, pretty well. She was very, very tall and very good-looking.' "'Would you know her again if you saw her?' rejoined my dear lady. "'Oh, yes, I think so,' was Catherine Harris's reply. Unfortunately, beyond this assurance, the girl could say nothing very definite. The foreign lady seems to have been closeted with Mr. Culden for about an hour at the end of which time lady irene came home the butler being out that afternoon it was harris who led her mistress in and as the latter asked no questions the girl did not volunteer the information that her master had a visitor she went back to the servants hall but five minutes later the smoking-room bell rang and she had to run up again the foreign lady was then in the hall alone and obviously waiting to be shown out. This Harris did, after which Mr. Calden came out of his room, and in the girl's own graphic words, he went on dreadful. I don't know if I'd done anything so very wrong, she explained, but the master seemed quite furious and said I wasn't a proper parlor maid, or I'd have known that visitors must not be shown in straight away like that. "'I ought to have said that I didn't know, if Mr. Calden was in, that I would go and see.' "'Oh, he did go on at me,' continued Catherine Harris volubly. "'And I suppose he complained to the mistress, for she gave me notice the next day.' "'And you have never seen the foreign lady since?' concluded Lady Molly. "'No, she never come while I was there.' "'By the way, how do you know she was foreign?' Did she speak like a foreigner? Oh, no, replied the girl. She did not say much, only asked for Mr. Calden, but she looked French-like. This unanswerable bit of logic concluded Catherine's statement. She was very anxious to know whether, if the foreign lady was hanged for murder, she herself would get the 250 pounds, on Lady Molly's assurance that she certainly would. She departed in apparent content. 3. "'Well, we are no nearer than we were before,' said the chief, with an impatient sigh, when the door had closed behind Catherine Harris. "'Don't you think so?' rejoined Lady Molly blandly. "'Do you consider that what we have heard just now has helped us to discover who was the woman in the big hat?' retorted the chief somewhat testily perhaps not replied my dear lady with her sweet smile but it may help us discover who murdered mr calden with which enigmatical statement she effectively silenced the chief and finally walked out of his office followed by her faithful mary following katherine harris's indications a description of the lady who was wanted in connection with the murder of mr calden Was very widely circulated, and within two days of the interview with the ex parlour maid, another very momentous one took place in the same office. Lady Molly was at work with the chief over some reports, whilst I was taking shorthand notes at a side desk, when a card was brought in by one of the men, and the next moment, without waiting either for permission to enter or to be more formally announced, a magnificent apparition literally sailed into the dust-covered little back office filling it with an atmosphere of parma violets and russia leather i don't think that i have ever seen a more beautiful woman in my life tall with a splendid figure and perfect carriage she vaguely reminded me of the portraits one sees of the late empress of austria this lady was moreover dressed to perfection and wore a large hat adorned with a quantity of plumes the chief had instinctively risen to greet her whilst lady molly still and placid was eyeing her with a quizzical smile you know who i am sir began the visitor as soon as she had sunk gracefully into a chair my name is on that card my appearance i understand tallies exactly with that of a woman who is supposed to have murdered mark culloden she said this so calmly with such perfect self-possession that i literally gasped the chief too seemed to have been metaphorically lifted off his feet he tried to mutter a reply oh don't trouble yourself sir she interrupted him with a smile my landlady "'My servant, my friends, have all read the description of the woman who murdered Mr. Culloden. "'For the past twenty-four hours I have been watched by your police. "'Therefore I have come to you of my own accord before they came to arrest me in my flat. "'I'm not too soon, am I?' she asked with that same cool indifference, "'which was so startling, considering the subject of her conversation.' she spoke english with a scarcely perceptible foreign accent but i quite understood what Catherine harris had meant when she said that the lady looked french-like she certainly did not look english and when i caught sight of her name on the card which the chief had handed to lady molly i put her down at once as viennese miss elizabeth lonthal had all the charm the grace the elegance which one associates with Austrian women more than with those of any other nation. No wonder the chief found it difficult to tell her that, as a matter of fact, the police were about to apply for a warrant that very morning for her arrest on a charge of willful murder. "'I know, I know,' she said, seeming to divine his thoughts. "'But let me tell you at once, sir, that I did not murder Mark Culloden.' HE TREATED ME SHAMEFULLY, AND I WOULD WILLINGLY HAVE MADE A SCANDAL JUST TO SPITE HIM. HE HAD BECOME SO RESPECTABLE AND STRAIGHT-LACED. BUT BETWEEN SCANDAL AND MURDER THERE'S A WIDE GULF. DON'T YOU THINK SO, MADAM? SHE ADDED, TURNING FOR THE FIRST TIME TOWARDS LADY MOLLY. UNDOUBTEDLY, REPLIED MY DEAR LADY, WITH THE SAME QUIZZICAL SMILE. A WIDE GULF WHICH, NO DOUBT, MISS ELIZABETH LOWENTHAL, will best be able to demonstrate to the magistrate to-morrow,' rejoined the chief, with official sternness of manner. I thought that, for the space of a few seconds, the lady lost her self-assurance at this obvious suggestion. The bloom on her cheeks seemed to vanish, and two hard lines appeared between her fine eyes. But, frightened or not, she quickly recovered herself and said quietly, "'Now, my dear sir,' "'Let us understand one another. "'I came here for that express purpose. "'I take it that you don't want your police "'to look ridiculous any more than I want a scandal. "'I don't want detectives to hang around my flat, "'questioning my neighbors and my servants. "'They would soon find out "'that I did not murder Mark Culloden, of course. "'But the atmosphere of the police would hang round me. "'And I—I I prefer a parm violets,' she added, raising a daintily perfumed handkerchief to her nose. "'Then you have come to make a statement?' asked the chief. "'Yes,' she replied. "'I'll tell you all I know. "'Mr. Culdin was engaged to marry me. "'Then he met the daughter of an earl, "'and thought he would like her better as a wife "'than a simple Miss Lowenthal. "'I suppose I should be considered an undesirable match for a young man,' who has a highly respectable and snobbish aunt who would leave him all her money only on the condition that he made a suitable marriage i have a voice and i came over to england two years ago to study english so that i might sing in oratory at the albert hall i met mark on the calais dover boat when he was returning from a holiday abroad he fell in love with me and presently asked me to be his wife After some demur, I accepted him. We became engaged. But he told me that our engagement must remain a secret, for he had an old aunt, from whom he had great expectations, and who might not approve of his marrying a foreign girl, who was without connections, and a professional singer. From that moment I mistrusted him. Nor was I very astonished when gradually his affection for me seemed to cool. Soon after, he informed me quite callously that he had changed his mind and was going to marry some swell English lady. I didn't care much, but I wanted to punish him by making a scandal, you understand. I went to his house just to worry him, and finally I decided to bring an action for breach of promise against him. It would have upset him, I know. No doubt his aunt would have cut him out of her will. That is all I wanted, but I did not care enough about him to murder him. Somehow her tale carried conviction. We were all of us obviously impressed. The chief alone looked visibly disturbed, and I could read what was going on in his mind. As you say, Miss Lowenthal, he rejoined the police would have found all this out within the next few hours. Once your connection with the murdered man was known to us, the record of your past and his becomes an easy one to pursue. No doubt, too, he added insinuatingly, our men would soon have been placed in possession of the one undisputable proof of your complete innocence with regard to that FATEFUL AFTERNOON SPENT AT Mathis's CAFE. "'What is that?' she queried blandly. "'An alibi.' "'You mean where was I during the time that Mark was being murdered in a tea shop?' "'Yes,' said the chief. "'I was out for a walk,' she replied quietly. "'Shopping, perhaps?' "'No.' YOU MET SOMEONE WHO WOULD REMEMBER THE CIRCUMSTANCE, OR YOUR SERVANTS COULD SAY AT WHAT TIME YOU CAME IN. NO, SHE REPEATED DRYLY. I MET NO ONE, FOR I TOOK A BRISK WALK ON Primrose HILL. MY TWO SERVANTS COULD ONLY SAY THAT I WENT OUT AT THREE O'CLOCK IN THE AFTERNOON AND RETURNED AFTER FIVE. THERE WAS SILENCE IN THE LITTLE OFFICE FOR A MOMENT OR TWO. I COULD HEAR THE SCRAPING OF THE PEN with which the chief was idly scribbling geometrical figures on his blotting-pad. Lady Molly was quite still. Her large, luminous eyes were fixed on the beautiful woman who had just told us her strange story, with its unaccountable sequel, its mystery which had deepened with the last phrase which she had uttered. Miss Lowenthal, I felt sure, was conscious of her peril. I AM NOT SUFFICIENTLY A PSYCHOLOGIST TO KNOW WHETHER IT WAS GUILT OR MERELY FEAR WHICH WAS DISTORTING THE HANDSOME FEATURES NOW, HARDENING THE FACE AND CAUSING THE LIPS TO TREMBLE. LADY MOLLY SCRIBBLED A FEW WORDS ON A SCRAP OF PAPER, WHICH SHE THEN PASSED OVER TO THE CHIEF. MISS LOWENTHAL WAS MAKING VISIBLE EFFORTS TO STEADY HER NERVES. THAT IS ALL I HAVE TO TELL YOU, SHE SAID, IN A VOICE WHICH SOUNDED DRY AND HARSH. I think i will go home now but she did not rise from her chair and seemed to hesitate as if fearful lest permission to go were not granted her to her obvious astonishment and i must add to my own the chief immediately rose and said quite urbanely i thank you very much for the helpful information which you have given me of course we may rely on your presence in town for the next few days may we not She seemed greatly relieved, and all at once resumed her former charm of manner and elegance of attitude. The beautiful face was lit up by a smile. The chief was bowing to her in quite a foreign fashion, and in spite of her visible reassurance she eyed him very intently. Then she went up to Lady Molly and held out her hand. My dear lady took it without an instant's hesitation. "'I?' Who knew that it was the few words hastily scribbled by Lady Molly, which had dictated the chief's conduct with regard to Miss Lowenthal, was left wondering whether the woman I loved best in all the world had been shaking hands with a murderess. End of the woman in the Big Hat by Baroness Emma Osey, Part one Recording by Janet, Marysville, Washington